Hello and welcome to the Success with Savita podcast where we share hot tips on how to do life and business without losing your mind. I'm your host Savita Nanjapa, entrepreneur, high achieving 9 to 5er turned transformational success coach, helping you create a wildly successful business. Come hang out with me and other fabulous humans like you every week for stories and chats packed with a healthy dose of tips, resources, how-tos and real talk. Side effects may include a happier and more confident you with each passing day. I'd like to introduce my guest on the episode today, Tirtha Uttappa. Tirtha is the founder and CEO of Samara Jewelry. She is also a multi-passionate entrepreneur. Before starting her jewelry venture, Tirtha spent a decade working in corporate with IT companies such as HP, Oracle, as well as KPMG handling IT transformational projects organizational change programs strategic management customer centricity service lines and 100 plus hours of training she has also been a CII speaker and authored thought leadership papers she took on a variety of roles at work but was always inclined towards creating jewelry she piloted her entrepreneurial idea while still at corporate and decided to take the plunge Today she's the founder of Samara Jewelry an IIMB NSRCEL launchpad venture a bespoke customized jewelry brand that co-creates handcrafted jewelry in gold diamonds precious and semi-precious stones by personalizing it just for you she's also the founder of Metanoia Consulting a boutique learning studio providing experiential and custom made workshops alongside this she also runs a eco luxury estate retreat the woodpecker estate in kork her interest is also to spend time influencing and nurturing young entrepreneurial minds through focus sessions and talks she is an economic times young leader award nominee her work has been featured in times of india your story and women's web she's also a mother to two energy balls who she spends time teaching them life skills Join me as I talk to Tirtha about launching and growing a jewelry brand and why we should be investing in sustainable jewelry. Hi and welcome to the Success with Savita podcast. Tirtha, it's so great to have you here. I've known you of course, uh not prior to this interview as well. And uh, to me it's a lot of fun always to interview someone I've known offline because it just makes the conversation flow so much more easier than being such a formal process so welcome to the podcast and i hope i'm looking forward to this conversation and i hope you have fun here today absolutely thank you so much savita thank you for having me over for this podcast i'm really excited and uh, i'm looking forward to this myself of course so with that let's dive right in what brought you into jewelry and how did your journey get started in this and i know that you're multi passionate you're multi talented and you have very different things that you're also doing but what brought you into this journey into jewelry so um i think my journey into jewelry i would say you know starts from my childhood itself um so i've come up through a very humble uh, you know background uh, my father's been into the line of jewelry and we've lived in surat and mumbai uh, for my uh, you know during my early years so i've always seen uh, you know diamonds being cut i've seen how the you know entire carbon gets turned into diamonds so i think more than jewelry diamonds was always something i was familiar with so it was uh, you know as a child you see things around you and you kind of start believing that's what you want to do so i think it was always a lingering thought in my mind that at some day some point in time i will connect back to diamonds and i will connect back to jewelry 
but having said that, uh, I think uh, when I actually mentioned to my uh, parents that, you know, uh, I want to get into the line of jewelry, uh, I think my dad was very clear saying that, you know, while you can get into this line, because he himself was in the line of jewelry, he was very clear that you have to earn this business on your own uh, capabilities. So he was very clear that, you know, while I could maybe support you in terms of maybe just connecting you to one or two karyagars, and that's all that I'm going to do, but you have to put in every rupee of yours to actually realize whether the profit and loss makes sense and whether this uh, is a viable option for you in terms of your career. And of course, at that point, I thought, wow, what a supporting uh, dad. And, you know, I was uh, really upset and disappointed because, you know, you always expect a lot of encouragement. But I think now looking back today, I am so proud and I'm so happy that he actually told that to me because I think that then took me through my journey of corporate. So I worked in the corporate for about 10 years. Uh, I worked with large, uh, you know, organizations, HP Oracle, KPMG. So and I've done like varied roles through which I started my journey of jewelry in a very small way. So basically, my friends and colleagues would know that, you know, I'm interested in jewelry and that, you know, there is a workshop where I could get this done. And then the small orders started trickling in, you know, pendants and earrings and finger rings. And I think the more and more I started interacting with people, I started to identify this major uh, gap, which I thought was in the jewelry industry, because the jewelry industry, of course, is very large, you know, uh, and there's a, it's, it's already a crowded uh, uh, market. So to kind of find your space, so I think for me, what really triggered was the fact that everybody who I was talking to kind of knew what they wanted in their minds, but it's just that they didn't know who was who was that person who could actually understand what they wanted and convert that into a beautiful piece of jewelry. So I think my journey into jewelry really started from there while I was at corporate. And I think after working for a good long decade, I realized one day that, um, no, this is it. You know, I'm, this is where my journey into jewelry starts. Um, and I literally took like a weekend break from my uh, corporate career. So a Friday was my last working day. And uh, on a Monday, I joined a jewelry designing course. So I did a brief uh, jewelry designing course with uh, JD Institute, you know, which, which gave me a lot of insight in terms of uh, the actual designing technique. So while I was already familiar with the technical aspect of jewelry, Designing was something that I wanted to focus on. So I did that briefly for, you know, about a six months uh, uh, period. Uh, and yeah, and then I plunged into jewelry, just uh, seeing where this goes. And like I said, uh, I actually make only customized jewelry. I don't do retailing. So for me, this jewelry experience is a very one-to-one, -one, very person-oriented, very relationship-based, very trust-based. So, you know, every client, uh, you know, of Samara jewelry, somebody I know personally, um, whose story I know personally, whose intent of getting a piece of jewelry done, I know personally. Uh, so I think uh, that really helped me uh, where I started this while I was in corporate. So kind of, you know, I had a good sense of, you know, where this market is going, how it's looking like. Of course, I had the investment for it, I think most important. So 10 years of corporate life uh, gave me a decent amount of investment that I could kind of, you know, put into the business. Uh, and yeah, and that's that's where my journey into jewelry began. And it's it's been about seven years now. Wow, that's so interesting. See, I mean, even though I know you a little bit, I still didn't know the whole story about where you grew up and that your dad was a jeweler. My next question for you, Tirtha, is what have you observed about how the jewelry industry has you know, changed from what we know traditionally, because what it used to be is, you know, our parents would take us to this jeweler or there was like the well-known established jewelers that you went and bought jewelry from. Is that still the same setup or has that kind of changed just like every other industry? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, specifically in the jewelry industry, there's been a complete and a very significant change in consumer behavior. 
Um, you know, so if I have to give you an example, you know, maybe about 15 years back or uh, let's say not even 15, about, uh, you know, 10 to 12 years back, typically you would, like you rightly said, you know, walk into a jewelry store, uh, probably ask, um, you know, the salesperson as to, you know, what are the latest trends, kya naya chal raha hai, you know, and then he would try to sell really what was on the shelf and would make you believe that, you know, these are the trends and this is what is really there in the market. And then, you know, you would make a, a purchase. Uh, in fact, so much so that uh, I think typically people were used to saying that, you know, you set out one day saying that, okay, today I'm going to buy jewelry, right? So you take a day off from work or you plan it over a weekend. You set out with a certain budget. You visit four or five stores. You try to see what, what is it that you like. You may like something. You may not like something. And most of the time, a lot of us have landed up making a compromise when it came to jewelry, you know, because you had kind of put that day aside for buying jewelry. So you had to buy jewelry, you know, and sometimes you bought that jewelry. And then I've had a lot of my clients who, you know, because I also remake a lot of uh, heirloom jewelry. Uh, we redo, redesign it. So they would take out those pieces and say that, you know, this is something I picked up 10 years back. I wore it once for a function and then it's just been in my locker and that baffles me because i think jewelry is such a high investment a high involvement category right uh, starting from the price of any small piece of jewelry that you pick up to your biggest uh, you know piece uh, it, it is uh, very uh, you know expensive i mean you know given the the prices of gold as well but a lot of times i think consumers in the past have just gone blindly with what they see what is made available to them and then you consume it you know and there wasn't much questioning of you know why is this not there why is not that 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 has definitely and significantly changed. And I think one of the main reasons why that has changed is obviously, you know, uh, with the whole, uh, you know, influx of internet, you know, which has been there for so many years, with access to so much of social media, which uh, with access to so much of, uh, you know, digital space that every consumer has today. Um, I would say that at least what I have seen in my experience is um, 90 to 95% of my clients pretty much have an idea of what jewelry they want. And the reason they have that idea is because today I think we are following trends you know so you no longer are seeking that validation from somebody else saying that what is that trend you know you are already let's say following certain magazines you're already following uh, you know certain runways uh, you know what was you know um, you know, the, uh, what were the you know trends for a particular season uh, you know what was happening in uh, you know vogue what was happening in new york across the globe you know what are the trends you know is it minimalistic jewelry is it something heavy is it traditional uh, you know a whole lot of people following indian brides the, you know the big fat indian wedding so you know what is there available but maybe as a client today you don't want always want that exact same piece you know because i think each one or uh, each one of us love that fact that you know we want that individualistic uh touch to our piece you know so why we while we may not really seek at something extremely unique but there is something that we want tweaked or customized to make it our own you know so i have a whole lot of clients who actually refer you know these kind of trends to me saying that i have seen this 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 but clearly i don't want an exact same piece but these are the pieces that have inspired and this is the kind of jewelry i have in mind you know and that's where the journey starts you know where you discuss with the client you know what is it that you want we share ideas they share ideas so we kind of co-create uh, which i think is a significant shift that has happened from what used to be there before i don't think before co-creation in terms of jewelry was existing you know, it was always a off the shelf uh, purchase that would happen. You go see what you like and then you buy. But, you know, and every time you requested a jeweler, especially a, a you know, a retailer to make that customized change for you or that small little change for you, the, the first thing that came across was, I didn't think, reluctance saying that, you know, this will take time and, you know, we'll need at least a month to do so. Uh, obviously, because customization is not the focus there. So in that sense, definitely a lot has changed. Um, also, I think the, you know, mode of uh, buying your jewelry. So, you know, very obviously, people 
yeah you know to today people are absolutely comfortable uh, you know buying jewelry online uh, of course i would still say not all kinds of jewelry are bought online but i think uh, the mindset of a consumer today has changed to say that from not investing at all online for jewelry i'm okay to invest this budget you know i'm okay to invest let's say a, a below 1 lakh when it comes to jewelry purchasing online uh, so i think that again is a significant change uh, also the uh, consumer i would say today is uh, a lot more curious you know like before you didn't have as a customer like i said you went and purchased what was available you didn't ask too many questions because you always felt this was an area i had no knowledge about right uh, and i think that's how also it was kind of uh, you know uh, that's how the entire setup worked nobody knew what is wastage nobody understood what is making charge nobody understood a lot of nitty gritties when it came to jewelry diamonds and all of that i think that again has changed you know clients today want to know okay if you're giving me diamonds i don't know much about it but i want to hear from you so i think that knowledge information about where is it that you're putting your money um, you know has also changed so definitely a very significant and a very substantial change in consumer behavior i'm sure and i think like you rightly said the internet you have it at your fingertips so you can like literally google everything and you know whether uh, you know what the jeweler is telling you or what the designer is telling you you know you you make a decision based on all the information that's available versus At when i was buying for my own wedding i am one of those people who's got stuff kept somewhere uh, you know we didn't really think we were like okay maybe this will be like okay we had to get something so buy something and you just wear it for that day and you never see it again so yeah very interesting uh, perspectives that you are sharing what have been some challenges that you have faced as a jewelry designer because you've literally transitioned from the old way to the new way those who are starting now they start out from a different place altogether but what has been some challenges that you faced yeah i think challenges um um i think frankly for me in my journey i wouldn't say there have been too many challenges uh, uh, the reason being uh, so i would you know bucket that into two one is when it comes to my work itself right uh, in terms of my the work that i have to do at my workshop uh, you know the entire jewelry market in which i operate with and the second bucket which is my you know my clients so when it comes to the market you know i think there the slight bit of challenge has been uh, and this i'm talking about actually a workshop not typically uh, you know a, a private workshop set up but a workshop which is you know your workshop but it is for example uh, you know uh, actually set up in a place where a whole lot of goldsmiths work right uh, so my workshop is actually set up in a place like that where there's a you know a, a lot of goldsmiths that actually work and that entire area is known like you would have certain areas known for a certain kind of work this area is known for making jewelry and in that kind of a market setup predominantly you would have only men operating in that segment you would hardly hardly uh, in fact i think in all my 7 8 years of walking into that workshop coming out i have never seen a lady you know so there so that for me initially was a challenge because i think just for people to uh, you know keep looking at you when you walked from your workshop to anywhere else when you went to procure the gold when you went to you know sort out the diamonds uh, there have been many times where i have been the only women in a room of men right so when we are sorting out our gems when we are sorting out uh, you know the diamonds uh, you know you're sitting there along with a whole lot of other people choosing the best for your clients so that for me has been a challenge initially because one people are people are not used to women coming into that space you have a lot of women you know who have their retail store set up so they are front facing you know they are the client facing but it's all uh, you know at their store uh, you know but not many of them actually in the market interacting with those carriers face to face interacting with your suppliers face to face 
So that initially for me was a challenge. But uh, I think what I learned very early on is uh, the more I'm going to look at that as a challenge for myself, the more I'm going to uh, not be able to pick the best for my clients, right? And the more I will have to outsource that work to uh, somebody in, in the sense, you know, uh, again, pass that work on of making that right choice, right selection to somebody else. Um, so I think uh, for me, very early on, I realized that uh, I'm going to take this in my stride. And the more visits I start making, the more used to I get, uh, you know, to it. So I, uh, as an individual, you know, believe in this 21 day rule a lot, uh, you know, and I've tried different, different stunts to actually keep reiterating that fact to myself that that 21 day uh, rule actually works. So this is another thing that I did that 21 days straight. Initially, when I started off Samara Jewelry, uh, you know, I kept visiting the workshop sometimes even when I didn't have work, you know, even when I didn't have work, I would walk into the various stores, you know, I mean, just to kind of have me familiarize myself with the market and in a sense even have the market familiarize themselves with me that there is this lady who comes with her bag and she's roaming around you know so there was a sense that okay she's also into jewelry and uh, that helped me because you know 21 days straight when I started doing that my own comfort of operating in those spaces increased also I was recognized by the suppliers as somebody's also also who's into jewelry and you know I had a lot of them reach out to me directly so it, that gave me more of vendor options which if I had to do on my own probably would have taken uh, you know a longer period of time and uh, you know uh, so this that way this really helped you know where you actually took that challenge as something that you really wanted to work upon um, so I think uh, from a consumer or from a client point of view uh, I wouldn't say challenge but I think it's it's just a mindset where they still have to appreciate the fact that you know when you get something done which is customized there's obviously a sense that it is very expensive. Um, it is not, uh, you know, so it's not that customized jewelry is very expensive, but I think what needs to be appreciated there is the time, um, you know, that an individual is giving to you. Like if you would typically compare, uh, you know, a jewelry that you buy across a retail store, you are interacting with a salesperson who is actually only trying to sell you what's off the shelf, right? So he has a certain inventory that he has to get rid of by the end of the month. And that is what he's trying to push. So while you have, you might have your own requirements, while you might have your own customization that you need you know one small change here there one design pattern uh, you know they're not always very accommodative you know while it's not a blanket statement but you know that's usually the trend that you know they're not always very accommodative so uh, in my kind of work where I do specifically personalized jewelry I think that's uh, you know something not challenging but I think I saw my clients take some time to understand that saying that we finally have somebody who listens to us you know who hears what we want um, you know and therefore the value value to the jewelry that's, uh, you know, being made uh, in their minds, you know, was justified. Otherwise, initially, it was always saying that, uh, yeah, okay, but, you know, in a retail store, we, you know, we probably got it at this price. Of course, mine is any day 20 to 30% lesser than what you get at a retail store. But even in that 20 to 30% less, you still feel that it had to be another, you know, 10 to 5% lesser. So I think with a client point of view, that was the only challenge uh, where, you know, where I had to make it aware to them saying that this is also, while it is not a tangible bit, this is an intangible uh, service that you're getting, uh, an experience that you're getting. And another thing also is when I make jewelry, uh, the clients also get to see the jewelry while it's in the making. Um, you know, so when you order your piece of jewelry, you not just get to see the initial design and the final piece, but actually the different processes that, uh, you know, the jewelry goes through. So I've had a lot of clients actually looking at those pieces and asking me, is it really gold? Because those are the stages it goes through. There's black and there's shades of gray and everything. And then the final beautiful jewelry actually comes. So it's a whole new experience, right? So that I think has taken my clients a while to understand saying that it's not just a piece of jewelry we are buying, but it's also coming with, uh, you know, a whole new experience.
Wow. I think this is so interesting. Uh, there's so much to learn in this. What I love is this challenge that you set out for yourself, 21 day challenge in Vox. Uh, and it's something that a lot of people don't understand the reality of sometimes being able to deal with people at different grass, like at the grassroots level. It's different for different industries, of course, but uh, you know, you think there are so many female jewelry designers, so why should this be a challenge? But this is an aspect that, you know, I hadn't thought of, and I'm sure the audience would find this very interesting. With that, uh, I want to know uh, what I like, you know, for me, who's this jewelry dummy who knows nothing about jewelry, what are some key trends in the jewelry space now for our audience to listen to as well? So I think uh, in terms of trends, there's, uh, you know, a lot that's happening. I think people are uh, also attaching a lot of importance to jewelry, um, also significantly because I think co with COVID, uh, you know, and all the trends that were there with COVID, even from an investment point of view, I think gold was one of uh, those factors that operated really well. Uh, you know, of course, people didn't get jewelry made, uh, you know, because you didn't have occasions that you were, uh, you know, allowed to, yeah, you know, to wear it, but then just a general investment in gold, um, you know. So uh, I think in terms of trends, uh, what people are are rightly looking for uh, nowadays like you you know mentioned yourself that there is a piece of jewelry that you had bought you know uh, at your wedding and probably worn it a couple of times and it's in the locker so that trend has changed a lot where people really want to not have jewelry sitting in the locker but really you know have jewelry in a way that they can wear it so a lot of uh, workwear jewelry that's there a lot of lightweight jewelry that's there um, and uh, something that Samara jewelry specializes in as you know one of our themes is uh, transformative jewelry uh, so we make a lot of pieces of jewelry that is transformative, um, you know, where you can put many uses to one piece. Uh, for example, we've made chanbalis, you know, that um, it, it's a single chanbali, but you can wear it in eight to nine different ways. Uh, now that is, you know, great value for a client uh, of mine, because uh, not only can she wear it, you know, for her ethnic uh, functions or weddings, but, you know, uh, at a day at office or a formal meeting, informal gathering, an evening cocktail, uh, you know, the same chanbali can be broken down, added, you know, it, it's like your blocks, you know, you add blocks, you make a big piece, you take off some blocks, make a, you know, delicate dainty piece. That is something that I think uh, a lot of clients are, um, you know, uh, increasingly seeking. Uh, of course, uh, there again, I would like to add that uh, not all of them know that uh, this is, uh, you know, something they can ask for. Because again, I think that's going to take some time for clients to actually start saying that while you're creating this big piece of wedding jewelry for me, uh, can you make it in a way where I can wear it, not just like this, but in different pieces? Like in my experience, what I've seen is a lot of times this is information that I give to my clients saying that they come to me only saying we need our bridal jewelry, you know, but it would be me sharing that information saying that while I will give you that bridal piece for that specific day, you know, can I make it detachable? Can I make it in a way where you can wear just the pendant, just the choker? And, and then they're wowed about it, saying that, yeah, why not? You know, I mean, I don't have to pay anything extra for that. Why not? You know, it's for the same piece of jewelry that I can wear it, uh, you know, in different ways. So definitely transformative jewelry. Um, also, I think more lightweight and contemporary. By contemporary, I mean, not that people are moving away from traditional, of course, you know, there is a good market where people also like, uh, uh, you know, and love traditional designs. I think I personally also love a lot of, you know, traditional designs, you know, they're always there to stay. Uh, but more in terms of, uh, you know, people are now uh, wanting more lightweight jewelry because they just see more use to it. You know, traditional jewelry usually are associated more occasion based, whereas your contemporary jewelry is something that, you know, uh, uh, it can be put, uh, put to more use. So that is another trend that we're seeing, you know, like I said, you know, more of office wear, more of party wear, detachable earrings, transformation of jewelry um, and 
some part, some people are also playing around a little with the metal that used to be used. So typically, uh, you know, in India itself, you know, culturally in India, again, if you go to different parts of India, there are parts of India, uh, you know, for example, in South, we are very particular that if it is gold, it has to be 22 carat. You know, um, sometimes with logic, sometimes without logic. So I think that again is slowly shifting, you know, with the generation now moving in, into jewelry where people are willing to understand why is 22 carat used for something? Why is 18 carat used for something? I think uh, a lot of times people just went with the belief it, if it is gold, it has to be 22 carat without uh, really understanding deeper why, what was the reason for using 22 carat in making that piece of jewelry. So there's a lot more understanding uh, in terms of why 18 carat and why 22 carat. And that shift is also happening. So I, I predominantly see a lot of that shift also in my clients where they're, where they probably are looking at designs which typically are done in 22 carat. But if I can offer them the same thing in an 18 carat, they're willing to do that because then they feel that they have more options to maybe get another piece done than just restricting to one big large 22 carat piece of jewelry, they have more options uh, in terms of the metal itself. So uh, I think that also is, is a trend where people are not really stuck on just 22 carat, but are willing to experiment with uh, even let's say an 18 carat. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. Stay tuned as we take a quick break and we'll see you on the other side of the show. And that brings me to a very different question. I'm probably putting you on the spot over here. Gold is traditionally seen as, if nothing else, just invest in it. Yeah. So with the changes in metal and between 22 carat and 18 carat, obviously there's a value change as well. How are people responding to that? Yes. So um, I think this, I, uh, I, a lot of my clients, sometimes when they get, uh, you know, jewelry done, they always ask, you know, 18, 22. So I have a very simple way of explaining it, right? And I'm, I'm going to try and do that here. So I think the myth that people have, and, you know, these are uh, conversations that I've had with my clients also saying that, okay, we'll do it in 22, uh, we'll do, instead of a, uh, 22, we'll do it in 18 carat, but uh, you know what, I'll not get resale value, right? I'll get, I'll get much lesser. Like when I actually try and sell this jewelry, I'm going to get much lesser. I think that the point that people fail to realize is, and just for the sake of numbers, uh, let's say 18 carat per gram costs 100 rupees. Just for simplicity, it costs 100 rupees and 22 carat costs 150 rupees. So today, if you are buying one gram of 18 carat gold, what you've paid me is 100 rupees. And if you're buying one, uh, one gram of 22 carat gold, what you're paying is 150 rupees. So obviously, when you've made a purchase, you have paid less. Right. But I think that aspect gets forgotten completely because you are only looking, saying when, you know, after two years, when I sell that eight, one gram of 18 carat, I'm getting lesser than what a 22 carat would have fetched me. But I think the key point here to remember is the purchase itself was at a reduced value. I mean, of course, given gold and the nature of gold, if you're going to, you know, uh, sell it or, you know, reinvest it or whatever, after a couple of, uh, you know, uh, uh, years or even, you know, a certain amount of time, gold by its nature normally has a tendency of increase, right? So you anyways are going to get a higher value than what you would have paid. But, you know, it, you can't really compare. It, it's, in my opinion, I feel it's comparing apples to oranges because you're, you've paid less for 18 carat gold, but you're expecting the same value as that of 22 carat, you know? So that doesn't make sense. Uh, so I think that's that uh, difference there, you know? And when uh, when clients understand this, then they're realizing that, yeah, you know, when you made the purchase, you paid a 50 rupees less. And probably that's the differential that you're going to get even when you sell it. True. So I think a great point on uh, value investing in gold um, and also the fact that 
uh, as a metal that is appreciating, uh, whether it's 22 or 18 karat, but it also depends on the time. And um, the next thing that comes to mind as you were sharing this, of course, is do jewelry designers now have to be online or will the traditional way of just having an in-store? Uh, what, what's your take on this? Because uh, how does it impact being online or not being online? Does it impact how people can find you, reach you and buy from you? I think it definitely your digital presence, I think in today's time is definitely needed. Um, you know, so I would, um, you know, 200% vouch for that. Your digital presence is definitely needed. Uh, but uh, again, I think uh, from brand to brand, uh, I would say that they have to spend time to understand what is the messaging that they want to do through the digital presence, right? So you have to have a clear understanding of, you know, am I, uh, am I a, you know, online store? You know, which means that I have 10 designs that I'm putting up and then you can make your purchase there. Um, is it a story that I want to say as part of my digital presence? Do I want to talk about my the brand heritage, you know, for how many years this brand has been there? You know, do I want to share client testimonials? Um, you know, so you have to be clear in terms of what is that messaging you want to put across with your digital presence. Uh, but of, of course, having said that, and the normal trends that you would see with most of the jewelry brands, while they do have, uh, you know, uh, a, a digital presence, there's always, always a offline store. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the typical brick and mortar. Uh, but I think by the numbers of it, by the numbers of it, you know, it is also shown that, uh, so I'm not talking about the very well established brands that have always operated brick and mortar, you know, so that's a different, uh, you know, segment altogether. But I'm talking about the, new, the, the newer brands, um, you know, without taking names, who have a presence, you know, online as well as, uh, you know, an offline store. So the offline store is really a place for a client to, you know, so I, you know, open up Google, I see a certain design. I know they have a store, uh, you know, right across my street. So I'll walk up to that store. I'll just take a look at that piece. But I think the consumer also has a tendency to maybe immediately then and there check whether, you know, while I buy this piece at the store, uh, you know, am I going to get it at the same uh, price if I if I have to compare that to when I buy it online? And if I'm getting a discounted, and normally there's a there's a higher discount when you buy it, uh, you know, online. Uh, you know, it's, it's like if you compare any of your appliances as well, right? So many times, any of your home appliances, there are couple of times, I mean, I've done this myself, right? I would walk into, uh, uh, you know, home appliances store, I would, you know, try and look for that fridge or, you know, washing machine, whatever that I would be interested for. And then and there compare, if I have to purchase this online, then what is going to be my cost? Uh, you know, so price definitely plays a very important uh, role here, I think, in terms of the purchase. But um, I think uh, the brands today definitely cannot shy away with the from the fact of having a digital presence, you know, so I think brands cannot today say that I'm only going to have a, you know, uh, an offline store and, uh, you know, make sure that the footfall of my clients are more but that visibility on the digital presence is definitely required and also i think it gives you a much uh, global reach right uh in just in terms of you know the uh, number of people that can reach out to you at least know your designs and things like that so uh, in fact a lot of uh, recent brands that if you see like at least what i also try and do through my brand is um so i share the experience of jewelry making i share pictures of you know in the making and all that which you'll not get when you walk into an offline store like you're seeing a final piece right so like i said each brand has to decide what is that messaging that you want to do through uh you know your digital thing but definitely there's no shying away from that i mean the extent of your digital presence is something that a brand can decide uh, but i think today's consumer is definitely expecting a lot of things at the click of a you know fingertip so i have this other new thing that's that's like become very common to be spoken about uh, which i want to ask you about as well lab grown uh, stones versus mind stones 
what's the uh, I, I, you're also using some form of lab drone you you give clients an option so talk to us about this what's the difference um i know we're talking about sustainable and uh, ethically made uh, stones so what's the background to this and uh, how do you um, implement this in your own jewelry making Yes. Uh, so as a brand, uh, you know, Samara Jewelry is focused on uh, taking the path of sustainable jewelry. It's definitely going to be a slow journey because I think uh, when you just look at the jewelry industry, um, a lot of when we and we, if you have to talk specifically in terms of sustainability, when it comes to the, uh, the, the gold industry, it's a, it's a little difficult, right? Because your gold is mined, uh, your stones are mined. So there's, there is a lot of mining just in the way the nature of the industry itself, right? I mean, not because of anything else, but that's how, uh, you know, the metals are found and then the metals are used and the stones. Um, so I think lab grown diamonds is something that I personally, uh, you know, so I call it a sustainable diamonds. And the reason why the brand calls that sustainable diamonds is because that is your choice to make when it comes to purchasing diamonds. Um, so clearly there are two kinds of diamonds that you can get today. One is your mind diamond which is what we're all very familiar with, you know, through all these years, uh, you know, which get sourced from different mines across the you know, world. And then you have a, a lab grown diamond. Now to explain it very simply and, you know, for a layman, um, I would say it's like, uh, you know, having a baby, uh, either having it through uh, the natural way uh, or through a test tube. The end result is a baby. Right. So it is a, you know, while it's a, it's a very uh, straightforward example, but that's, you know, the best way to understand that what you're getting as an end product is not really different. The source in which that product is formed and created is different. Um, I personally, uh, you know, I really, uh, you know, I associate a lot with lab-grown diamonds because I think uh, that really also takes care of our sustainability uh, thought that we have as a brand to move forward with uh, because the way these uh, the diamonds are formed is nothing but the environment is simulated in a lab. So if I have to talk about mine diamonds, mine diamonds, you know, are formed, you know, under the surface of the earth, in the earth's crust over millions and millions of years with a certain, uh, you know, atmosphere that is created, right? So the same environment is simulated in a lab and a carbon rock is created. So, uh, you know, and that rock goes through the exact same process of cutting, finding, uh, you know, and uh, uh, taking out the diamonds. So even in lab-grown diamonds, you have color, you have clarity, you have gradation. Um, you know, and the myth that people have is uh, the minute you say lab grown diamonds, they think, oh, it's artificial. You know, uh, it is not. Art OK, if we have to categorize the word artificial. Yes, it is not naturally formed in the sense it is not something you have taken out from the Earth's surface or from the Earth's crust. But it has the same chemical comp uh, you know, composition and same chemical properties as that of your mind diamonds. Now, that creates the stark difference between what people are familiar with. Today, everybody has heard about American diamonds, zircon, white stone, mozzanites, man-made diamonds, all of that. All of those stones do not have the same chemical composition as that of a mined diamond. Now, what that means to a layperson is, if it does not have the same chemical composition as that of a diamond, while you can get jewelry done in those stones, while you can you know, even just buy those stones, over a period of time, it loses its shine, luster, brightness, all of that. And the reason that happens is because the chemical property of that stone is very different from that of a diamond. Whereas a diamond, if you see, even over the years, nothing really happens to the diamond, right? I mean, you might need a little bit of cleaning and, uh, you know, washing of those diamonds, you know, time to time, because depending on how much you're using it on a daily basis, but the 
actual essence of that stone doesn't get lost anywhere. And lab-grown diamond has exactly the same chemical pro you know, properties as that of diamond. So I think the whole intent of actually creating these lab-grown diamonds was that. Can we look at an alternative to a diamond, not making it an artificial stone, giving the same properties that a diamond actually has, but doing it in a way that can be more sustainable, you know, where, you know, we can contribute to the environment in a certain way. So for me, it is extremely close to my heart because I think lab-grown diamonds actually also maps to, uh, you know, the UN goals of sustainability, you know, so the United Nations has a list of goals, uh, you know, especially for, you know, startups and uh, companies to actually say, do you map up to any of these, you know, and today it's, it's a sad truth that a lot of our uh, you know, jewelers and retailers in our industry may may not be able to actually map up to that. Not for anything else, but just by the basic nature in way in in the way uh, in which this business operates. So today we have that option. We have that option of making a choice and. I think very interestingly, Savita, I must share, uh, this is again uh, a fact that is there today that a lot of clients do not know about lab-grown diamonds. Uh, there is lack of knowledge, there is lack of information sharing. Uh, so nobody knows that there's something like this. There could be people in pockets who know about it, but there's a lot of doubt of what is it, you know? Is it, is it okay to buy it? Is it not okay to buy it? Is it expensive, less expensive and all of that? Uh, so I think a lot of information and knowledge sharing around that has to happen. Um, and I'm very glad that, you know, off late, uh, in fact, uh, I think, uh, around five or six uh, recent brides that I have done uh, jewelry for, uh, you know, who came to me for their, uh, you know, engagement rings, for their solitaires, for their bridal jewelry, um, you know, where I got a chance to discuss with them and give them the option. So end of the day, of course, you know, as a person who, you know, in, in my business of jewelry, I'm here to offer you, uh, you know, what you would want. So and Samara Jewelry as a brand also, for me, it is about creating jewelry the way you want it. So if your preference is to go in for a mind diamond, I would be able to give you that. But if your preference is to go in for a sustainable option, I'm also able to give you that, right? So um, I was very happy that, you know, while I was sharing this information with a lot of my uh, brides-to-be, saying that this is also an option that is there, uh, they all, all their solitaire rings, all their, most of their bridal jewelry was done using sustainable diamonds, you know? And that for me was a real kick because, um, I mean, they were happy too because obviously they got bigger stones, uh, you know, so that that anyway brings a joy to the face. Uh, you know, cost-wise, it's much lesser compared to mine diamonds. But I think more than all of that is just a conscious decision you know a conscious decision to say that you know while i want my huge rock on my finger um you know like like the way i say it i'm also going to make sure i leave some part of the world behind for my kids so you know so that's that's very interesting and on similar lines even gold so i we do a lot of work where uh, in, in in the brand where we ask a lot of my clients to actually reuse their old gold you know, rather than actually procuring new gold, if there's old jewelry that you think that you're not going to use anymore, gold coins that normally people would have got during weddings, which is just dying, lying in the locker, we try and re reuse a lot of that, you know, so, so doing our bit for sustainability. Interesting. I know where to come, but I think what's, uh, what you've shared so far has been uh, very knowledgeable and something that I think I've learned. So this is like a session where I get my, you know, crash course on jewelry. Uh, so now I want to do a quick bring it around to you. Let's get to know you. What's your preferred design style? Modern, classic, traditional? So I'm more of, uh, I would say, a mix of contemporary and classic. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I like, I, I, I'm a big fan of uh, transformative jewelry. I love it when it's one piece, but I can, you know, play around with that. Uh, and I would say more classic and contemporary. Uh, I like more straight lines. Uh, that's my style. And your favorite gemstone? Has to be the diamond. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, I think you already said that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And um, a day in your life, what does it look like? Okay. Uh, so a typical day in my life, uh, I think wake up in the morning and I was just uh, sharing this with my husband as well a couple of days back when I was actually uh, reflecting back on how my day actually starts. Um, and uh, you know, he was actually uh, telling that, yeah, you should actually tell what you do where you, you know, wake up and you, you know, sit up for like 10, 15 minutes doing nothing. Right. And I think that's what I actually do. I wake up the first 10 to 15 minutes is doing nothing, uh, you know, and while there were days that I thought that, you know, that had to be changed. Um, I think I've really realized that how important that is, because that is the white space in my mind during that time where I'm not really thinking anything. I'm really not thinking anything. I've just started my day. And I think those 10, 15 minutes is all about just absorbing what's happening around. You know, um, it could be hearing the birds. It could be hearing the doorbell. Uh, it could be maybe thinking, okay, you know, what could be the next, uh, you know, uh, item to do in during the day. But honestly, my day starts with like 10, 15 minutes of nothing. And then it starts with, you know, a little bit of exercise and walking and all of that, that I can fit in. Um, then I have two kids. So I have a handful. I have a 10 year old and, uh, you know, going to be six year old. Uh, so before I can start my uh, putting my mind to anything else, I hear their screams. So, you know, my typical day would start with, you know, doing getting their meals in place. Um, and then, of course, my work starts in. And I also, apart from jewelry, uh, you know, I also have uh, my consult, my uh, workshop uh, a bit that I do, um, you know, under Metanoia Consulting, where I actually conduct uh, experience-based workshop for uh, corporates and individuals so uh, between Samara jewelry and that uh, I spent you know spread out my day um, workshop visits are something that I love so you know that has to happen at least three to four times in a week that happens and uh, I think for me it's very important in my day you know I have to catch up with my friends it could be on a call it could be a person you know personal meetup um, spend time with my husband once he's back listen to music uh, you know so I think yeah I mean for me my day I'm for me, I think as an individual, I'm very clear that everything is a part of what I do. So, you know, I'm a mother, I'm a wife, I'm working, you know, I'm a friend, I'm a daughter. And in my day, I try to see if each bit of this get, uh, you know, some time of mine. Oh, I love hearing about everybody's days. I'm the typical warrior. And um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. I also want to ask my last two questions as we come towards the end of this uh, interview. And it, it is just like a one takeaway that I want from you. Not going to put you on the spot, but what's one key business lesson that you've learned so far? I think the key business lesson that I've learned is uh, sometimes we get, you know, carried away with the fact or rather disappointed with the fact if you feel that your idea is not absolutely unique or absolutely different. We forget to understand that it's not that the, your idea has to be absolutely you know, unique or different, but you could, you could be having the same idea as somebody else somebody else but if you think you can do it much better that can really be your usp so that for me has been a big learning because like i said you know in my uh, industry uh, i'm talking specifically of jewelry um i think i've realized that you know it's such a crowded market you know you have such established brands uh, but if you can really find your space and your niche right uh, like i said like for me it is my clients pretty much know what they want they're looking at customized pieces they're looking at personalized pieces uh, they're looking at jewelry not just from a purchase point of view but from an experience point of view. Uh, so I think it's very important for you to find the right gap 
in any business, you know, because no matter what the industry, what the segment, and doesn't matter for how many years that uh, industry has been in operation, uh, there will always be a gap that you think you can actually fill in. So I think spending some amount of time to understand what that gap is. And if you feel that somebody else has already taken taking care of that cap, doesn't matter. But if you think you can do it, you know, two X time better than how that person is doing it, then you already have your USB. I think that for me has been a big uh, business learning. With that, how can our audience find you, connect with you and get you to design jewelry uh, from you? Is it just only through your website? Of course, we are going to be sharing your website and your um, Instagram handles. But can they also email you? You could share that right now. And for everyone listening in, please go follow Samara Jewelry. We are dropping the links with the show notes below. Um, and uh, Tirtha, so how can our audience find you? Yes, so we are there on uh, social media, uh, you know, website, the, our website is there, there is Instagram, there is, you know, Facebook, uh, our email as well. Uh, like I said, you know, the jewelry that we do is personalized jewelry. So we like, we love it when we get to spend time with clients and really understand and hear what they want, right? So um, as a brand, we try to keep it as non-transactional as possible, you know, so while yes, you want your piece of jewelry, but you know, come talk to us, let us know what you want. If you have some design in mind, send us those designs. If you think you're good at, you know, you don't, don't even have to be great at drawing scribble something we'll pick that up and then we'll start a conversation with you so uh you know you, they can find us on uh, instagram facebook drop in a you know a dm us uh, over there or drop in an email i think all those links uh you know so i'll have it shared thank you so very much i think i have to say while i've not been a huge fan of jewelry i have been looking at your jewelry as part of research as well for today's session and uh, I, I'm in love with some of the pieces that you're making. So you have this customer coming your way. That's me. Uh, also to convert the whole jewelry uh, into something that I can wear every day. Thank you so much. It's been really wonderful talking to you. I think you shared so much knowledge, not just about the industry, but your approach, which is uh, unique. And I wish you all the best in your journey. And thank you for your time, being so generous with your time to be here today with us. Thank you, Savita. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like this episode and you want more, you can go to the show notes on my website, which is successwithsavita.com forward slash podcast. If you like what you've heard so far, I would be grateful to you if you could leave me a five-star review, subscribe to this podcast and share with a friend who may find this useful. You can also follow me on my Instagram at successwithsavita and DM me any questions you may have and I will be happy to answer them for you. Until the next episode, believe in yourself and all the best to your success.